So I was looking for everything else to do other than teaching. So I went to college, uh, University of Albany, and I, I said, hey, I'm going to go to business school because I think I can do something cool in the business. You know, I like business. I had taken a couple business classes in high school and it piqued my interest. So I said, all right, I'm going to go and get my, you know, get, get a business degree. Hey, y'all. I'm Jen. I'm a daughter, a sister. Oh an auntie, a niece, a cousin, and a friend. And I love pineapples on pizza, spending all day in Disneyland, shopping for bargains on Amazon, and all things literacy. I'm a Jesus girl. I love people, and I love hearing their stories. In fact, that's what I'm doing here, sharing stories with powerful lessons to encourage us, empower us to keep moving forward, and to remind us that God has our back. I can't wait for you to hear these stories. Why don't you go ahead and join us for a story worth living? I was reading this article online about a teacher who kind of stumbled into the field of teaching. And at the time the article was written, Carolyn Alvarez, that was her name, was teaching at a high school in Kissimmee, Florida, In the article, she talks about how she loved literature and the English language. And she was even nominated for the unique way that she reached her students. She had been teaching for 10 years, but apparently didn't start out to even be a teacher. Well, she was asked why she became a teacher, and her reply is quite interesting. She said that she didn't choose teaching. Her mom chose teaching for her. She had previously earned a degree in pre-1800s British literature from Cornell University, and she had thoughts of continuing her education by going on to earn a master's. Although she didn't exactly know what she wanted to do, she absolutely had no intentions of teaching at the time. Well, her mom made the suggestion that she should go ahead and take a teacher's certification test while she tried to figure her life out, and... As they say, the rest is history. Carolyn says, I just fell in love with it. There's something about education when it really is a right fit. You don't ever want to leave. Well, our featured storyteller for this episode also kind of stumbled into teaching and has been teaching over 17 years ever since. My friend, Terrence Stone currently teaches computer science courses for students in grades 9 through 12 at St. Charles High School in Waldorf, Maryland. Clearly, his impact has been felt throughout his tenure in the classroom as he was nominated as Teacher of the Year for his school just last year. He has also been designated as an exemplary teacher. When I met him years ago, an affinity for education literally poured out of him. He had an interesting journey into the world of teaching, which, by the way, he was definitely called to, and it's certainly something that he absolutely loves. Let's listen in. I'm an educator who is um, a computer science teacher and a very happy computer science teacher, I think that that has helped to define and define my my teaching career. Um, I feel better about saying that I'm a computer science teacher than saying I'm a business teacher. 
because of the, just everything that comes with it, that you are a computational thinker, you're able, you're a problem solver, you are able to look at things in unique ways and you can uh, potentially find solutions for problems. So that, that in essence kind of defines who I am um, professionally. Um, and I, I uh, consider myself, I have a little creative streak in me here and there. Um, uh, I did graduate with a master's in art direction. So um, that, that, that is one of my uh, bona fide qualifications, even though I don't think that I use it a lot. But I, I, um, if you think about how um, you know, others see me in the classroom, they'll probably say, yeah, I see you as a creative guy that's more logical than creative, but um, I think that's it in a nutshell. I'm a guy who likes to solve problems and I get to do it and inspire young minds while doing it at the same time. I never wanted to be a teacher. Um, I grew up in a household where both my parents were teachers, were educated. My dad was a guidance counselor at a high school in Jamaica, Excelsior High School. And then he um, also worked with the Excelsior Evening Program. My mother was a high school teacher in Jamaica at an all girls school. And then when we all migrated to New York City, my dad left the classroom, um, but he still was an educator because he was working with special ed community, but the adult special ed community. And so he wound up running uh, a program in New York for a company uh, that he just actually hasn't retired yet. He'll retire next week. Um, from that company, but he had transitioned out of the building. So yeah, both parents are educators and I'm seeing how they worked hard to make sure that my brother and I had um, an opportunity to succeed. So like my dad said, um, way back in 1992, he sat, he sat us down in a family meeting and he said, look, I'm gonna go to New York because I'm not happy here anymore. Um, and, and I want to make sure that you and your brother have an opportunity to succeed. So I'm gonna go to New York. I'm going to you know, get some things together so that you and your mother can come. And I didn't want to be without my dad at 13 because I felt more moving into, a, uh, you know, as a teenager, I wanted to have my dad there as I went through all these crazy teenage changes. And so, yeah, I was uh, a jerk sometimes. And I'm embarrassed to say that I wasn't the best son as a 13, 14 year old to my mom. Um, but, um, you know, I, I eventually came to my senses and realized that I should stop being an idiot. <laughs> and uh, take care of my mother because she's the only mother I have. And I, since then, like, you know, I've always been trying to be a good son to, to both my parents. Um, so yeah, teaching wasn't on my purview. Like we weren't poor, um, but we weren't rich either. So any, everything that my brother and I needed, we had it. 
So I was looking for everything else to do other than teaching. So I went to college, uh, University of Albany, and I, I said, hey, I'm going to go to business school because I think I can do something cool in the business. You know, I like business. I had taken a couple business classes in high school and it piqued my interest. So I said, all right, I'm going to go and get my, you know, get, get a business degree. And then I ran smack into accounting and macroeconomics. And I said, mm, I don't know about this business thing. Let's see what else I can do in the business field. And I was, at the time I was drawing a lot and I had been drawing since I was, since I was a, little, a little boy. And I said, well, art's a minor business can be a minor and let's major in communications because I kind of like this advertising thing. So I'd, I'd done a couple of internships uh, with uh, one in New York, one in Boston at Hill Holiday um, Advertising Agency and thought it was really cool. So I decided that I was going to, I went to grad school um, to the VCU at the time ad center. It's now the brand center. And I graduated in, um, I graduated with my master's in uh, mass communication and advertising. And yeah, you know, that just happened to be the year the towers fell and the economy went down. So um, agencies weren't really hiring and I was willing to do the grind. I'd left Richmond, moved back to New York, my parents' house. And I'm ready to do this thing that my professors had taught, talked to me about. Yeah, you got to send your book out to all these different agencies and give them time to look at it and then call them and see and send them out to these headhunters too and have them grab, pound the pavement for you and so on and so forth. And my parents weren't having any of that. They're like, my dad was like, yo, you got to find a job. What you, <laughs> you, 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 just, you think you're just going to sit in here and not do anything? Why don't you go teach? And I'm like, man, I'm not trying to teach. So, I mean, I needed, the reality too was that even though I was at home, I wanted my own money to spend. So I um, found a swimming job. I was teaching swimming in the city while I was trying to send, you know, my portfolio out and so on. And I'm not getting any bites from anybody and time's going and this money that I'm getting from swimming isn't really... I'm like, man, I got a master's. Why am I earning like change? Like this can't happen. And so I'm, I'm teaching these, these um, wealthy, wealthy children um, <laughs> in New York City. I mean, listen, some of the places that I, I've never gone to some of those places that I went to in the city uh, and New Jersey um, of course, you figured they'd have pools, but like penthouse pools and, you know, you see the kind of clientele that's coming in and the clientele that you're teaching. They're like, yeah, these people got money. And I'm being reflective about what I'm doing. Uh, had the opportunity to teach um, one of Robert De Niro's kids. Um, that, that was the clientele, you know. Um, yeah, he used to roll into the, one of the pools at where we, where we lived at, no, where we, where I worked and he just nonchalantly walk in with his boys and sit down and wait. And then wow. when they're done, he just roll out with them. Yeah. Robert De Niro. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that was the clientele and, and I'm, I'm reflective about what I'm doing and I'm saying to myself, all right, 
no advertising agency is getting back to me. Things are really tight. Um, connections that I actually have in the agency, some of them were leaving because things were so tight during that time. And I'm saying, okay, I need to do something else. And this teaching thing that I'm doing, I'm not bad at it. I'm able to connect with these little kids and they're learning. All right, let's see how things are gonna go. So I, I took the dive and started um, uh, sub substituting in um, New York. And I went to, you know, I connected with folks at church who are educators in the New York City public school system. And they, of course, hooked me up, made sure that uh, in, in terms of making sure that I got my paperwork right, I turned things in on time, uh, told me where to go, what to do, how to get if my transcript evaluated, things like that. And, you know, as soon as I got my credentials, um, <clears throat> you know, one of the one of the members from the church, she called, she was, she she put me on and I started going to, you know, I started going to schools. So. Um, <laughs> it wasn't bad until I met a fourth grade classroom. And what I liked about substitute teaching was I liked the teachers who were prepared. Teachers that as soon as I walked in the classroom, everything was laid out for me for the day. Um, so this was like elementary school that I was, I was subbing in. And uh, everything was laid out. I knew what kid to watch out for, little notes like that. And I walked into this classroom one day. It was, it was the day before I was going to Oakwood's homecoming. I walked into this fourth grade classroom and these kids saw me come in there. And usually the thing is people tell you like, look, man, you're a black man. You'll be fine. You know, the kids kind of gravitate to you. You're a rare commodity. You're a rare breed. These black children from Brooklyn saw this Jamaican black man walk into the <laughs> classroom and they said, oh, Miss so-and-so's not here. Oh, it's party time. And let me tell you, those kids tore up the place. One teacher from across the hallway popped her head in the room and said, excuse me, what are y'all doing in here? Y'all need to sit down and get this, this work done like y'all are supposed to do. And she kind of paused there for a minute. And she's like, you can't let them run all over you. And they sat down for five minutes. And I said, okay, I've heard stories and things like this. All right, I got to do something to let them know I'm serious. And I yelled at these children. And I think I picked up a chair and like banged it on the floor a couple of times. And they looked at me like, yeah, okay. They settled down for five minutes. Everything else was over. I was so tired when I got home. I slept for like six hours. Now, mind you, I'm supposed to drive to Huntsville. <laughs> I was just wiped out physically and mentally. And I woke up, I said, man, I don't know about this teaching thing, man. I have no clue how this is gonna work. So I took, I took a break cause we went, we went down to Huntsville and came back. And I, I went back to teaching and the guys that I taught, um, actually the guys that I taught with uh, uh, swimming, 
they um, they knew some parents who were actually in the system, and one of them said, "Hey, Terrence is is uh, you know he's in the system." So you know, uh, one of them put in a good word for me, and the parent actually liked the job that I was doing with their child, and they said, "Hey." Um, so you're, you're, uh, you're trying to get in? And I'm like, yeah, uh, I've been to a couple of schools in Brooklyn, you know, so, but you know, I don't know. He's like, look, give me your, like, give me your info. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll get you in school. We always need subs. This was in Astoria, a different part of the city, different clientele. They called me every day. Oh, wow. And let me tell you, these children were totally different from those children in Brooklyn. They were, um, now mind you, not that I didn't even give trouble, but they didn't give me trouble. So I walked in the classroom, same kind of setup where the teacher leaves everything and I'm doing everything for these kids in the elementary classroom. And they are like, not giving me any problems. And so I guess I, I learned a couple lessons from that fourth grade classroom about classroom management. Like I learned it real quick. Um, and I guess I was doing an excellent job because literally every single day, right through the rest of that school year, I got called for a sub job and I, um, I said, all right, this is not too bad, but I don't like elementary. I, I, I felt like I couldn't really connect with the younger kids. Mind you, I'm in my twenties. I had no fam, no, no no immediate family of my own. Like I didn't have any kids, I wasn't married. And so it, it, that age group was a little younger than the Pathfinders that I, um, that I interact with. So I felt more comfortable with the older kids. And so I was looking around to see how I could get in. And so, and yeah, agencies didn't, didn't call me, but the schools were calling. So my first full-time was with uh, the Northeastern Conference um, education system. And they put me, they hired me as an art teacher and they sent me to different schools around the city to teach art, which wound up being a disaster because of um, red tape and politics and logistics and so on. So I wound up being uh, settling in at a um, French immersion school within the conference, and that's where I started. So I walked into a sixth grade classroom now, and these children are different also. They're not like that, those Brooklyn children, those special kids that kind of honed my uh, classroom management skills. I'm actually giving them credit for that now. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of had some of those skills already because I, it, it wasn't the first time I was teaching swimming. I taught swimming at summer camp before. I'd, I was a counselor at summer camp. Um, I was a director and running the waterfront at Camp Victory Lake for years. So, yeah, I had some of those, those uh, skills that were there. They just needed to be sharpened up a little bit. So I um, jumped into this sixth grade classroom. I think I started with them, I want to say, around November of that year and just took them through the rest of the school year. 
because that sixth grade class that was at Hebron was way too big for the teacher at the time. Like it needed to be split, but she was, she was managing them. So uh, they gave me, they split the class. They gave me half and I was going through, I was like, look, I didn't know what I was doing, but based on what I'd seen before while I was subbing, it kind of gave me an idea of what to do. And my, my mom helped a lot too, because she's, you know, she said, uh, you know, you need to have a plan together. You need to put these things together. And she kind of walked me through a couple of things. And in addition to that, sw- teaching swimming also helped because the Red Cross, which is what the system I used, you you have to come correct. The Red Cross really has a good, solid system of training people how to swim. So there were lesson plans and videos and and um, and handouts and things like that that you had to use. And so you walked into each lesson prepared. So those kind of things prepared me for the classroom too. So I thought my first year as a sixth grade teacher, I was doing a wonderful job. And you know, at the end of the year, you kind of have to go through your exit interview and. I'm walking in there green as ever. And I sit down with my print with my uh, principal at the time, Mrs. Alvarez. Lovely lady. Lovely love. And I'm being genuine when I say lovely lady. Very genuine. She was, she was an awesome principal. She was my first principal, and she was an awesome principal. And she sat me down, and I think she's going to tell me, Mr. Stone, you did such a wonderful job. We're so happy to have you, so on and so forth. And she ripped me a new one. I mean, it wasn't, well, all right. That's how it felt to me at the time, but she was being, she was giving me constructive feedback on how to be a better teacher. Um, Like I said, it didn't feel like it at the time, but not only did she talk to me about ways that she saw that I could improve as a teacher, she also dropped one of the most famous books on my lap. Um, and it, the uh, the first the first is it the first five days or the first seven days the, of teaching the first days of school. The, um, the, yeah. Yes. Yeah. The yes. first days of school. Uh huh. That book. That book is one of the best books any teacher could read. It is. I mean, I, hands down, the best book any teacher could read. It is. And. I mean, she, she put that book in my hand and I, um, I went home for the summer. I read through it and bet, and you better believe it. I came back and did a whole bunch of stuff from that book to get myself ready. One, I need a set of classroom rules. Didn't have them my first year. Um, just foundational things that every good teacher needs to have that you need to establish yourself, establish the rules, get to know the students, um, make the students feel like they have um, input on some of the rules and how the routines that are going going on in the classroom. And on top of that, being consistent with those routines. The thing is, once you walk into the classroom, you have to be, you have to know what your goals are. And you have to let your students understand that your goals for your classroom align with their learning goals for that particular class. And then the key is consistency across the board. I don't think you need any elaborate ruling system and system of treats or or reward system or anything like that. 
just look, this is how I run my classroom. These are the rules and you hold them accountable to those rules. And you just, from September through December, you keep it consistent from the start to the finish. You make adjustments here and there. And then when you come back in, the, in January, you start right back where you left off in December. Tweak a couple of things here and there, but don't, you know things are going off the rails when you're like, all right, we're going to throw out everything that we said we, we're going to start with in September and we're going to start with something new. Your kids are going to look at you like, what you doing? Okay, you don't know what you're doing. All right. And uh, th the next thing too. So, well, kids always know when you don't know what you're doing. Yes. So they can read you like a book. Regular students can. When you get into the special ed community, oh my goodness, they can read you faster than the regular kids can. So, <laughs> so yeah, Hebron was my, um, I still, so I, that's where I started. I started off um, in uh, elementary middle, our, our school superintendent at the conference called me, the art teacher left, um, that was at the academy, Northeastern Academy, he left, he went to Western New York, I believe. And she said, hey, we need an art teacher at the high school. And I wasn't, while I liked working with the older kids, I felt like I'd found a niche at the middle school level. Like they weren't too crazy at that school. Uh, and, and I felt that like I connected with them. So high school was kind of terrifying for me. I didn't know what to expect. And I think one of the last things I wanted to, to, to do was to get myself in trouble with the, with the young ladies that were there, which not that. I would, but it's just like anything happened. So she now calls me and says, uh, you know, hey, you know, they need a teacher and poses it to me as if she's offering me the position. And I'm like, no, I'm kind of good at, you know, the position where I'm at. And it, no, it was a, hey, we need you to go there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so uh, I think I spent two years in Brooklyn at Hebron, and then I went to the academy as the art teacher uh, and had a wonderful time there. Um, and so, yeah, that's when I really found out that high school was the place for me. Um, and uh, then I left there and started teaching in Maryland. And when I moved to Maryland, the state of Maryland was like, oh, you got some business skills there, sir. Um, we might need you to teach some business classes. And they also said, yeah, but you also need to get some of your educational credits, which, which I'd started to do in New York anyway. Um, so I needed to take all my educational credits. So I, I, I did a lot of that in New York and I finished, the, I finished up things here in Maryland. Uh, so I started, that's, that's when I really started to transition into computer science because I was teaching regular business classes, but then I was also teaching a web design class, which was of lots of interest to me from grad school. I'm here in Maryland uh, because I met uh, a, a young lady who is now my wife and um, my parents were sad to see me go. I was sad to go also, but I, I wanted to transition from New York. I was kind of tired of the, um, I'd gotten tired of New York. Um, and, and every time I go back and visit, I, I'm reminded of the things that made me tired of New York. 
but I love New York because it's the it's it's my second home. You know, Maryland's my third home, but New York was my second home. So there's a lot of things there that I still miss um, and enjoy. But there are a lot of things too there where I'm like, oh yeah, it's nice to visit now. I'll just you know come back. So I'm here in Maryland, and Maryland says, hey, you got two years to get your um, your official license. So right now you have a conditional license, and uh, I don't like taking tests. Um, I, I hate taking tests. And so I've said, all right, all right. I got to take the praxis. All right, fine. I got to take the praxis. So I drag my feet a little bit. I take the praxis my second year and I get like, I really got serious about it my second year. And I took the praxis one and got scores that made me qualified to teach in the state of Maryland and the District of Columbia. My composite scores weren't good enough for Virginia, right? I think one of my scores um, missed the mark. So I was like off by maybe four points for composite score for the state of Virginia. Um, but I, cause I wanted to give myself the option of saying, all right, I can teach anywhere. But then when I thought about it, if you get a license in Maryland, they'll recognize it in Virginia and then they'll just give you a license if you're qualified in the state of Maryland or DC. So I was like, okay, let's not worry about the composite score. So then I had to take my Praxis two, and they had just come out with the business education Praxis two, the pedagogy and the content. I took the content and knocked that thing out of the park. The pedagogy now, because I'd never studied education, because education was never on my peer view, I'm thinking, when I was in grad school, I'm going to be flying out to Fiji and recording some Super Bowl ad on the beach and hanging out and, you know, making money. And here I am in the classroom now, like, man, all right, fine. This is my reality. I need to, I, I need to work. I'm about to get married. So yeah, I need to handle my business. I take, I study my behind off for that pedagogy. So I'm learning about ADA. I'm learning about all the other things that um, are very important to teaching Title IX and things like that. And I'm able to answer all those questions. I have a thick uh, index card list of all these different policies that have been passed by the government and things that I need to know for pedagogy. And I walk into this exam, there are 25 questions, four essay questions that you have to, um, that you have to answer. And you have, I think I had two, I think I had two hours to do it. So I had figured everything out. Like I'd gone to a class, they taught us, you know, told us what to do. I'd done research on how to, you know, take the exam and pass the, pass the exam. I went in very confidently and I looked at the first question and I'm like, Ooh, I know this thing. I know how to answer this thing. And I knocked it out and I picked my head up and I'm like, Oh my God. I got 30 minutes left. What in the world? I got four other questions, essays to answer and the multiple choice. So I knock out the multiple choice and I knock out, um, I very quickly answer the other three, right? Uh, and I can't remember if I was supposed to answer three or two of the four or some, something like that. But I, I finished up what I was supposed to do, but I just didn't do it well because I didn't have time to do it. I spent way too much time on the first question. So I'm like, oh man, I don't feel good about this test. I missed it by two points. So the county goes, uh, hey, 
you didn't pass your your uh, pedagogy. So we're going to have to let you go. I'm like, yo, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, wait a minute. I'm like, I'm registered to take the other exam. The scores are going to come out after the deadline date. Can't you like open some, like just hold off on things like that? They're like, nah, no, too bad. Why do you take so long to take the exam? And I'm like, you know, you have a point, but I'm like, yo, seriously. Um, it's not like I'm not actively trying and telling you what's going on. No, didn't care. That's good old Prince George's County for you. Yep. So, um, yeah, I lost my, uh, I lost that license. And then, but I had done such a really good job at the school. Um, they kept me on as a long-term job. And one of the teachers was kind of in a transition. So the principal was really trying to see how he could get me in and get me back on staff. So I, um, that year, I was expecting my first child. The staff there, they, were, they really looked out for me. They, I mean, they really did. And I kept things transparent with them across the board. And so, you know, I was there, I was working, I was teaching my regular classes. I just wasn't a full-time teacher. I was a sub. And uh, I, once I got my scores, of course I passed. And I walked right into whomever's office and the principal's office and was like, hey, look, man, I passed the scores. He's like, oh, that's awesome, man. Look, he's like, look, man, I'm trying to work something out for you. I'm gonna, I'm like, I'm trying. And every time I saw him, whether he was being truthful or not, I believe he was being genuine because I, the, the folk at that school, at Northwestern High School were really good people. And they've treated me very well when I was there. So I really believe that he was, you know, trying to advocate for me. But, you know, um, tenured teachers have some powers. Um, and so whenever you're, you know, you're, you're in that kind of system and you have certain, certain rights and so on, you, they can't move you out just for any particular reason, just to bring somebody else in. So I spent that year there. Uh, and I got another story about that year too. I'd sent all my credentials to the state of Maryland on my own because I was like an independent entity. They sure sent me my license back. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. I actually have a teaching license. The dude that never wanted to teach. Teaching is not hard for me. Uh, I, don't, I don't like the paperwork. Nobody, I don't think anybody likes the paperwork. But the reason why I've kept at it for so long is because it doesn't feel like work. Uh, and, and it's not hard for me to prepare my lessons for the students to teach. It's not hard for me to find solutions to the problems that they encounter. So um, this is one of the reasons why I've stuck with it for so long. Um, and so, uh, you know, after that year I left, I worked in DC at a, uh, a specialized education program. And that was an interesting experience working with the with the with the special education community not only the learning disabled uh but the emotionally challenged community you got to be a special person to work with the emotionally challenged community um which yeah it's just wow um so yeah, I went there and then after I spent a couple of years there, I think three or four years there. And then I left and um, to the current place where I am at St. Charles High School in Waldorf teaching computer science, which I utterly love. Um, but wherever, you know, if you're a good teacher, administration, they, 
kind of leave you alone to let you do what you're usually doing because it's what they expect you to do. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a good experience so far for me in the classroom. Um, but back to the good people at Northwestern High School. Uh, I said that I was expecting my firstborn as a long-term sub. So um, I told the vice principal at the time, you know, like I said, it was transparent. They knew we were expecting, they knew Beverly was, um, ex, uh, uh, you know, was going to have Taryn at any moment, at any time. And so, you know, he said, he's, you know, he's like, hey, um, just let us know when, it's, when, when you got to go. I understand, man. You, you, you got to take care of your family. You, you better be ready when your wife calls. And sure enough, when she called, I, I called, I called them and told them and they said, all right, we get somebody down there. And I was gone. And um, once Taryn was born, I checked with Beverly and she understood. She's like, you know, we, as a substitute teacher, you don't work, you don't get paid. So <laughs> Taryn is born. I, I took one day off and then I went, I went back to work the following day. And my VP was like, yo, what you doing here? He's like, I'm like, dude, dude, I got, I'm like, I, I got to work. If I don't work, I don't get paid. He's like, you better get your behind back to the, back to that hospital. You listen, man, I don't want to see you for the rest of the week. I'm like, you sure? He's like, get out of here. I'll see you next week. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. And would you believe my pay didn't change? So I, and, and I have to believe that it's because I was doing a, a good job in the classroom. How has pandemic teaching been? So I've always wanted to work from home. <laughs> so <laughs> I've always wanted to work from home. Always wanted to work from home. You know, I live in, I live in DC, in the, in the, in the, in the DC, the, the, the DMV area. So uh, I'm used to all these government workers talking about telework. Yeah, I go to work this day and then I stay at work this day and I'm home and I'm working and I'm doing this. I'm like, do I have to go to work every day and teach? Why can't I teach from home some days? So the pandemic was like, all right, let's see how this works. So the springtime was, we went through some learning pains with some of the decisions that my county, my county made. And the, over the summer, they told us that the system, that the grading system that we, or the content management system that we use was able to integrate Zoom into their program. Now, I am a, uh, a facilitator for Code.org, which is a nonprofit company that creates um, computer science curriculums for students from elementary all the way through high school. And so I train teachers to teach uh, the AP Computer Science Principles course. And because we meet from time to time using Zoom, I was already familiar with Zoom. And while we were going through that growing pains from March to, to June, we used Teams. And our technology wasn't where it was supposed to be. Um, so the laptops that we had didn't have webcams. So of course we can't go on camera with Teams. So it was, um, but we were able to talk to the, the, our students. And for the most part, they were some, most of the time they were able to talk back to us. 
But because I was used to Zoom and, you know, the equipment that I have personally, I was always using that, which has a webcam. I am like, Zoom is the way to go. So when I heard that they were going to Zoom, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be good. And so what I did was I, um, I put together some things for my colleagues in my department, because you got to take care of your department first. And just, you know, just to kind of get them up to speed on things that they, they should probably know about Zoom as they go through the, the different trainings that we had to do during the summer. So, um, yeah, I, all right, here are the parts that I like. I like yeah. the fact that I can get up out of my bed and turn on my computer and I'm in my classroom and I can connect with my students. My students who I've taught before, because I've had that relationship with them before, um, it was easy to reconnect with them virtually. And as a result, you know, they're, they're, they're doing fine. They're doing well. Um, there's one group of kids who I'd never taught before, but they'd seen me in the building. Um, they are awesome. They're in my, uh, my, my AP uh, CS principles class and they're doing awesome. They're also engineering students. So they're already high flyers and very motivated students. And so that's, um, that, that has been a positive experience for them. The struggle I had walking into September was, how am I gonna connect with my new students, the students who I've never seen before, um, who have never taken a class with me before? That was tough. And I, I, you just have to, tr you know, I had to try different um, techniques to connect with them. So of course, when you connect in the morning, you try to keep the energy high, but it can't be too fake because they'll figure it out. Uh, you have to be genuine. Um, we all, all cameras have to be on. So we have to, you know, just little fights here and there. So th the new class has been a challenge, but the other students who I already know, and, you know, especially like the students that I've taught for three years, oh my gosh, I enjoy class with them. Um, so, but I'm back in the building now. Uh, and we actually had our first two days with students returning. Um, just just uh, uh, about 90 plus students are in the building. So we're starting, this is what we call phase two. And then we're going to go on spring break week after next. And then we'll we come back, we come back for a week and then phase four. So more students are going to come back. Um, the, I'll say this. Uh, it was a learning experience for everybody like everybody across the country, um, how to implement programs, what to do, what were the best decisions to make, what are the best practices for virtual learning. None of us knew that. So a lot of mistakes were made, but a lot of good decisions were made also. Uh, and, and I think that because I was able to train teachers in the spring with code to, um, to train other teachers to teach the course, the AP course, that helped me a lot, um, kind of honing my craft for how to be online. Mm. And so, yeah, you, I mean, you're sitting down, but you kind of do some of the same things that you would do in the classroom. So make sure your gestures are going on and you um, call the kids out um, whenever you have questions. I've found that students don't like turning their mic on to speak, but they have no problem talking in class. 
So what's the difference? Is it because the meeting's being recorded? I don't know, uh, but they are more willing to type in chat than they are willing to unmute the mic and say, hey, Mr. Stone, uh, I have a question. You know, some do, but at this point it's, all right, I need your response for this thing. Give me a thumbs up if everybody is good. Um, you know, you understand or a thumb sideways if you're kind of in the middle, thumbs down. Or, hey, put a reaction in the, in, you know, on your reaction icon on your, on your thumbnail or respond in chat. You know, the thing is, um, I love breakout rooms because the, the, the classes that I teach um, require lots of collaboration between either two people or more. And so breakout rooms give them the opportunity to do that. Now with students that I haven't taught before, it kind of crashed and burned. So I, like my intro programming classes, I don't do breakout rooms with them at all because they don't talk to each other. Why? Because they don't really know each other. And it's very challenging to create a community. I think it's easier to create a community with, with adults than it is with the kids because adults know, okay, we got to do this thing. I signed up for this thing. So I might as well connect with these people for a little bit yeah. and then go off and do my own thing back to normal, right? Kids are like, I want to be in school. I don't like this computer thing. Why I got to talk to this person? I don't even know this person, that kind of thing. So the challenges, those are the challenges. But overall, I like teaching virtually. I think because I'm teaching, the jury's still out on hybrid teaching because, you know, I'm just two days in. So it's kind of weird. Um, even though I was back in the building, I, I was in the room by myself. I didn't have to wear a mask when I'm in my own room teaching the kids virtually. But now that the kids are back, I'm in the room with the other kids. I have to wear a mask. They have to be in masks. So now I'm looking weird on camera with my other kids, but they understand. And it's just... Mm, Kind of weird. So yeah, <laughs> that's a that that's rich. Like that is such a qualitative look. <laughs> I appreciate that 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 detailed look. What do you love most about teaching, and what do you like least? Paperwork. Mm-hmm. Hate the paperwork. Um, I don't like putting grades in at all. At all. At all. I wish. <laughs> Oh man, because I teach coding, um, essentially it's, can you create, can you solve this problem by creating a program without errors? And if I walk up and I see your program that's running without an error, of course you're getting an A, right? Um, and, and I mean, there, there can be more things that go into that, you know, um, and they are, there, there are lots of things because they have, um, Code has, code is awesome. Code.org is awesome. Uh, just a quick plug about it. I think they're one of the best uh, nonprofit companies around. They've also helped me grow as a teacher um, and as a facilitator. And uh, yeah, I learned a ton of, ton of stuff f- from them. So the rubrics are detailed so that I'm not just looking for, okay, it runs and it has no errors. But there are other things that go into play that it needs to have to make sure that it works properly. 
because any kid can just write a program that runs and like, oh, it doesn't have any errors. So I get a hundred, right? No, you actually didn't fulfill the requirements for that particular program to solve the problem. So um, I wish I could just say, all right, it works, A, and just keep it moving and plug it in and it's done. But yeah, no, I, I got to do a little bit more than that. So it's, um, and the, the <laughs> here's a funny thing, right? So I hate grading. Uh, and I, um, I, I, because I teach computer science, yeah. I don't necessarily have to read a lot because I'm not giving my students a lot of things to write, except for computer science principles where they need to talk about their program. Like another part of software engineering is the documentation. There's a lot of writing that goes in to software engineering. And so we're, principles gives the students a taste, a taste of, of that. And so, yeah, I have to read stuff and give them feedback, but I don't like doing it so much. But guess what I did? I was able to read for the college board last summer. <laughs> what do you do as a college board reader? You read and you evaluate students' response based on a rubric. So it was, a, it was really a good learning experience. I mean, really, really good. I've heard teachers who have been readers saying, yeah, it's one of the best professional, um, one of the be best PDs that you can attend. And yeah, it was really, really eye-opening. And I learned a lot from just how to evaluate kids' work based on the rubric. And so now I feel like I'm able to prepare my students better for the AP exam this year. Um, so yeah, that's what I like, least. I hate grading. I hate paperwork. Um, I always tell my students, here's a rule. Look, I don't have a lot of do's and don'ts, right? Get here on time, be ready to start in class because I'm ready to teach once the bell rings uh, and um, just be polite. If you need to use a bathroom, raise your hand and ask. So, you know, don't do, don't break general school rules. My classroom rules are really general school rules, but get here on time, stay in your seat, handle your business. If you need something, raise your hand, ask me. I'm not excessively, I'm not a micromanager, that kind of thing. If you're working and I see that you're working and you're talking, but you're getting your work done, you're fine. Because collaboration, you got to talk a little bit right? Or a lot, depending on how you collaborate with your partners. Yeah. So my thing is, look, follow the school rules, which are the class rules that I have, because I don't like to do paperwork, but I'll do the paperwork if I have to. And because I don't want to do the paperwork, I'm going to embellish a lot on the paperwork that I have to do because you're not following the rules. I'm not going to lie but I'm just going to make it look really bad that you're doing the things you're stopping me from doing the thing that I want to do, which is to help you learn to document something that you're doing because you don't want to follow the rules. And for the most part, the students do comply. Now you do have some students that don't, and I mean, it happens. So the thing that I like, the most about teaching is when I'm teaching the students who say, I don't get this coding thing. And then after a couple lessons, they're like, oh, they got that aha moment. And I'm like, 
There you go. Um, a couple other things that I've really liked. Um, we've been able to put on a hackathon at my school, um, which is, uh, I, uh, for our listeners who may not know what a hackathon is, it is a, um, it is a typically a 24 to 48 hours, or it could be longer than that, depending on the type of hackathon competition where individuals come in and they're given computational problems to solve. And the best solution for a particular problem is um, wins a prize, right? And so a few of my students attended hackathons at institutions of higher learning in, in the state and they came back. I've always wanted to put one on, but they came back and said, hey, Mr. Stone, we went to UMBC's hackathon. We should put one on here. And I'm like, yeah, I've always wanted to put one on here. What do you... Um, now that you've been there, I've never been to one. What do you think we need to do? And so now I've empowered those students to start planning the hackathon. And we've been able to put on three um, for the students of Southern Maryland. Um, we didn't do one this year because of the pandemic, of course. And I felt my, um, my partner and I, uh, my, my department chair, Ms. Shubi, she and I felt that it was just too much of an undertaking to do one virtually. We could have done it, but really with, with, it was a lot. It would have been a lot. We could have done it if we wanted to, but it was just a lot. And then I also think that if I had the crew of students that I worked with last school year, if I had them for one more year, we would have done it because they were experienced. They had done it before. And so that whole crew of students, um, they just, I just lost them. They just, they, well, they graduated, they had moved on. So we decided not to do it this year, but the hackathon, I enjoyed doing that. I drive home on, on Sunday morning, um, Sunday afternoon, very tired, um, very tired. Yeah. Uh, I have to like kind of, church people don't judge me, drink some Mountain Dew uh, to get home because literally, uh, it reminds me of those drives we'd go to, we'd do to Huntsville because we would drive all the way down to Huntsville and then drive all the way back to New York. No stops on the way, just straight 15 hours. And, you know, uh, you know, alumni weekend, tons of fun. You don't get enough sleep before you drive by 15 hours. You're just tired. So by the time I get to New York, I stop at a stoplight and it's, I'm falling asleep. <laughs> and then the light changes. And I'm in that sweet spot of sleep where I'm just thinking I'm under the sheets, my head's on the pillow and then the light turns green and I hear that horn behind me. And I'm like, oh my oh, God, yeah. I'm still on the road. Time to go. <laughs> so it's kind of like that driving home on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those, those have been some really good um, things that I've done at school. So yeah, the extracurricular things that I've been able to do with computer science at St. Charles have been awesome. And um, the administration has been very, very, very supportive of computer science education. Um, the county also has been very supportive of computer science education. I mean, if you don't get buy-in from the, from the, 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 the decision-making stakeholders, then the program's just not gonna fly. 
you know, so that that is one reason why I'm still in the classroom and find it hard to break away because um, I like what I'm doing and the support is there. And I think that, you know, opportunities for me to do other things might be closing, but I, you know, hey, God's in charge. So <laughs> whenever he says, all right, Terrence, it's time for you to go do this thing that you've been thinking about doing, then um, so be it. Because I've been, I did a boot camp. I did a coding boot camp because one, um, I, I'm kind of ready to leave the classroom, but you know, when you're ready to take that jump, it's kind of scary to make that jump. So I did a coding bootcamp. Um, I, I am a full stack engineer. I have those credentials under my belt and I have been, like I mentioned, you know, at the beginning, I've been coding a lot. I'm trying to solve problems. I've been working with a non, um, a nonprofit group to, um, work on a proof of concept, uh, project. That's really cool. Uh, the gentleman that I'm working with, one guy's retired, one is a, uh, one's a teacher just like me. And uh, the other person, he's an act, he's still working as a software engineer, but we're learning a lot about how to build this project. And I'm the person that's building the back end. And so here I am walking in and I'm like, I don't feel like an expert, but I know how to build a back end because I've done it for in bootcamp, but I'm the guy. And so, you know, I've, um, I uh, missed a meeting that I should have been, but you know, certain th things came up and the dudes were like, yo, we, you know, when I went back to the next meeting, I was like, yo, y'all did some fun stuff without me. And, and um, you know, uh, Ethan, who's, who's, who's the retired uh, our partner in the, in the process, he was like, yeah, we were expecting, you know, we, we, we were sad that you weren't here. And I was like, okay, I, I feel valued here in this process. Okay, cool. So, yeah, there, there are some other things on my horizon, but I find it hard to leave because I like what I'm doing. Uh, and that's the reality of it. Um, so we'll see. Every day, um, my strength comes from the almighty. That's the only place that it, it can come from. Um, you know, uh, you can say that I am coming from a lineage of teaching, I, I don't consider that as the number one thing that makes me the type of teacher I am. Yes, it has helped to hone the kind of person that I am because yeah, my parents were teachers. So I saw what they did um, and yeah, they worked hard. And so um, I, I don't think I work as hard as they do, but <laughs> I still handle my business. Like, you know, um, you know administration at work, they don't, they don't bother me at all. They don't trouble me at all for anything. They, they don't bother me for any reason. And if, um, if situations come up, they have my back for the most part, you know? So um, strength, yeah, strength comes from the almighty. That's the only place it can come from. Uh, he's the person that, um, you know, puts breath in my body every day. I mean, when we have worship on, on, uh, you know, week on the weekends, one of the things I always ask my, my family, uh, we ask the girls, what are you thankful for? And they go through the whole thing. And my same thing is every weekend. I'm thankful for a job, for food, for shelter, for protection, for health. 
And the only place that can come from is the Almighty, you know? And so, yeah, I'm thankful that, um, I'm thankful that he has placed me in this position where, um, you know, sometimes I think about it and I'm, I'm saying to myself, God has been good because I can pay my bills. I can provide for the girls. Well, not just me. Well, think about individual. It's a we thing, of course, but evaluating things from me as an individual, um, I can contribute so that the bills are paid. I can contribute so the girls have the things that they need. I can contribute so that there's food. I can contribute so that whenever we want to go somewhere, we can, you know, and we're not necessarily struggling for things here. Those are, those things are blessings, you know, and you can't, you can't um, not acknowledge that. Um, and I think that it, it's impactful for me because I remember where I came from. I was this little, little, little guy in Jamaica where, you know, I'm walking around where I see other people who don't have the things that I have. And the fact that, you know, I came from a place where while we had the infrastructure, we didn't have running water in, in the house. It was there, you know, but the water pressure just wasn't good enough to come all the way in the house. So, I mean, showers were a thing that came once in a blue moon, that water actually came out of the shower, you know, but we survived. And so when I remember that that's where we came from, um, yeah, it's a blessing. It's a blessing that, 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 um, that yeah. I'm able to, to do these things and provide for, provide for the little ones um yeah yeah that's good i'm so looking forward to sharing more stories with you to connect with you challenge you and energize you stories create environments where we can learn valuable insights from each other's experiences they represent our collective pain joy fear faith best days and worst days they unite us teach us challenge us delight us and enable us to convey messages of hope in a complicated world. There's something to learn from someone else's story. They are countless lessons of faith, hope, and love. So why not take some time to consider your own story, then join us again for another story worth living. Yeah.